2: It's called the Safety Act, a package of law enforcement measures approved by the Illinois legislature back in January of 2021, with various provisions coming online at various times. Backers hail the passage as long-overdue reforms. Many law enforcement officials feel somewhat differently. This weekend, we're going to get their view. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Officially, it's called the Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity Today Act, T, and it does a lot. The package abolishes cash bail beginning in January of next year, reforms police training, certification, and use of force standards, expands detainee rights, and requires body cameras in almost all police departments by 2025. At first, the Illinois Association of Chiefs of Police was dead set against just about all of the Safety Act, but there have been some changes made. A number of chiefs still believe there are some serious problems with the act and how it may be applied, and this weekend we're going to hear from a few. My guests include Tom Weitzel, he is the retired police chief of Suburban Riverside. He continues to work with the Illinois Chiefs of Police and he's been on this program before talking about some of these very issues. Uh, James Kruger is currently the police chief of East Dundee. Before that, he spent a decade as the police chief in Oak Brook. Steve Hussack is the police chief in the village of Lake Zurich. He's publicly expressed concerns about the Safety Act. And I thank all three of you for joining me. Uh, I think it is safe to say the provisions of the act ending cash bail have generated the most concern and frankly, the most political rhetoric. So let's start there. I'll just throw this out. The stated goal is that police, or excuse me, the people accused of low-level crimes shouldn't be jailed just because they're poor. Um, let, let's start with you, Tom Weitzel, so because you and I have spoken about this before. Uh, that is the stated con, uh, goal. What's your state, biggest concern?
1: Well, I would say... Craig, we're not talking about low-level crimes. When you're talking about this cash bail reform, as they call it, I would call it dismantling cash bail completely. We're talking about, I don't think there's anybody that wouldn't say that there are low level crimes misdemeanors. Individuals should not be held in custody unless there's some aggravating circumstances. But we're talking about felonies, some very violent felonies that uh, individuals will be released on with no, any cash bail. So I think for proponents to say that it's um, low-level crimes is completely false.
2: Um, Chief Kruger, uh what is what is your concern? Even when it's uh, high, more elevated crimes, uh, are you worried that everybody gets out, or that uh, that the wrong just the wrong people get out?
3: Well, the concern is, is that really the stated goal of the legislation really is, is that is there a direct threat to the person that's involved in that particular felony or that case, not on whether or not somebody may also be a a threat to the community at large, which really is not under consideration. And that's, that's a deep concern. And I, I find it fascinating because, you know, there's been some discussion on, uh, trying to paint law enforcement as being overly uh, reactive when technically the law hasn't gone into effect yet and trying to paint us into a corner. When in reality, bail reform uh, was passed in 17 and went into effect January 1st of 2018, that that significantly changed the way bail was uh, was done by judges. And uh, I know that the, that the DuPage County State's Attorney at the time uh, did a longitudinal study and showed that uh, failure to appear warrants increased 39% in DuPage County alone, as far as people showing up because of the, the vast amount of recognizance bonds that were given. And, and I'm pretty sure that happened. Uh, my colleagues can talk about more about Cook County, but I'm sure that that occurred too when you hear about jail populations going down. And then this whole red herring about the low-level shoplifter getting locked up for months. And that really hasn't occurred for Many, many years, if it ever really occurred unless there was somebody with a significant criminal history and re- and a repeat offender uh, so these low level property crimes that that people are trying to especially an elected office are trying to use as a as a mechanism for uh, i'll say sympathy towards this this law really i don't think exists but you know just to go back one quick thing on on something you had mentioned from the beginning is is that that the chiefs association really looked at and were uh, all on board for reform. I think our concern was that the way that it was portrayed and the way that it was passed without any kind of law enforcement uh, participation really was our, our main concern. But we we recognize that there are several things in the law that are helpful to us as well and some things that we
2: needed to work on. Right. And then we're going to talk about uh, some of the other things, but uh, uh, Chief Husak, uh, What is your experience and your concern about this law as we approach it? And frankly, there's still some tweaking and things and that can go on before we actually reach January 1st.
0: I think a lot of the concerns come from the um, overarching statements of defendants shall be presumed eligible for pretrial release unless the prosecutor presents clear and convincing evidence to deny this. And I don't know that a lot of this comes down to judges and prosecutors, and I'm not all that confident that um, enough discussions were made uh, as this was crafted that, um, you know, the burden being placed on the prosecutors was um, addressed, you know, that uh, the procedures and things need to be worked on in court, and maybe there was a slower approach to this rather than an overarching, you know, shall be presumed for everyone, uh, may have been a better approach.
2: Um, let me ask, and any of you can and answer this one. Uh, the whole premise of the justice system is presumed innocent until proven guilty. So, it has, isn't the burden always on the prosecutors? Uh, and I'll tell, I'll quote from what the uh, Illinois Network for Pretrial Justice says, and then basically is: if a person is found to pose a danger to someone else or is deemed a flight risk, a judge will still be able to jail and pretrial. Uh, and and I mean, I think that sometimes people say, well, automatically, we're letting everyone out and uh, out who is accused. But judges, it's it's either you have bail or, or you, you either get out on bail or you stay in. Um, is that not a natural thing? And don't the judges have the power to do exactly what you're saying? Um, so, yeah. Can, Chief, Chief Krueger.
3: I don't believe that the infrastructure is in place yet in order to, to maybe give a fair assessment for a judge. You know, I had been part of the pretrial uh, commission uh, that, that the uh, Illinois Supreme Court had put together uh, back when I was president of the association. And there was this whole presumption that there would be a risk assessment or an analysis of these individuals as they go up in front of a judge. And just you know, a, a typical, in the at least in the collar counties, is somebody would get arrested uh, and charged. Uh, if it was a, a felony, then it would go through felony screening with, with that county state's attorney. And then they're brought before the judge in the morning, or a lot of times it's by video now, especially after COVID. Uh, and somehow that judge is making that determination, you know, could be eight hours later, 12 hours later. And where is the staffing and the infrastructure in order for them to even get a risk assessment, other than just running their criminal history, and I think that's that's a big issue. And uh, as far as are they evaluated? Have they been interviewed? Uh, has other factors been put involved? Has the victim been interviewed? So I mean, it it sounds great, and and the presumption of innocence is absolutely in our constitution, and and we all completely believe in. Uh, but I don't know how that you know that effectively is done operationally in, in a manner without putting people at risk.
2: Hmm. Can I a on that yeah, sure, Tom you know, Weissel.
1: He's absolutely correct. And in Cook County, it's already a complete debacle. So the, the, the bond courts in Cook County, you cover them. You know that it, they're already letting people out all the time um, when they shouldn't be releasing them. The, the pre-trial, first of all, the state's attorney only has four 40, we only have 48 hours to get that defendant to bond court anyways. And the state's attorneys don't have enough time to really present the correct information. And the pretrial services in Cook County are supposed to already be doing a threat assessment to the community. And that's under secret. They, we don't know what forms they're using. It's not, uh, they don't, have, they even pretrial services doesn't have enough time per prepare do nothing more than run criminal histories. They don't check the ties to the community, how many bond forfeitures they've had. What is their criminal history? What's their criminal history outside the state of Illinois? You know, there's a lot of stuff that takes time that already in Cook County is not happening. So I I don't believe that that statement that you made earlier by proponents is accurate at all.
2: Um, I know that uh, Will County State's Attorney Jim Glasgow said that people will have their bonds extinguished in uh, in the uh, Will County courts and that they'd have to be freed. I, that doesn't sound like something that 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 uh, the law would necessarily anticipate. Uh, uh, Chief Husak, uh, are you worried that you're going to have to open the gates or open the doors uh, at your jail
0: well that yeah, that's handled through the county so we're yeah, in Lake true, county, but... so that would be handled through the county and it may be going forward or the current people uh being held that can't make bail uh could be released i think some of the concern has to do with um as um you know lack of cash bail uh, gets into the system in 2023 that there could be um, obviously the the big concern or the, the the threat is you know, will there be more um, crimes committed by people out that um, that wouldn't be held uh, accountable? Uh, I can envision um, even people with retail theft or other problems like that that you know there, there's a, there's a narrative out there that they can't get uh, their homes and they can't keep their jobs and support their families. I certainly understand that. But at the same time, there are those that are unemployed, that are um, addicted to drugs or that are committing thefts for those reasons to go back and continue because of addiction or, or things like that, that may be getting services through their county jail. They may be getting pretrial services um, and things. There, there may be other avenues. You may, not, may know that other states have uh, instituted um, lots of creative and progressive processes having to do with court date reminders with unsecured bond, meaning um, you know, that, that you're released, but um, if you don't make your, your next court appearance, then your, your bail comes into effect or something. I just think that there probably could have been a little more progressive discussions back and forth before um, an overarching, um, you know, pre release.
2: And I, I should mention, because uh, anyone who's been listening to the program regularly will know, two weeks ago, we had on uh, some groups uh, that are operating in Cook County uh, that specifically are offering services to people who are being released on their own recognizance that would include drug counseling, job counseling, housing assistance. Uh, so some it seems that some infrastructures are trying to be put in place, but uh, I think that's interesting. That and and can that be done between now and January? Can you see more organization of uh, how pretrial trial uh, information is handled and and handled in the courts? I mean, are you uh, hopeful? I think
0: on, I I think unfortunately, as Chief Kruger had mentioned, the infrastructure I don't believe is there. Uh, In any of our counties, whether it's you know Will, Kane, Dupage, uh, Lake, or Cook, um, certainly we can be optimistic. But I unfortunately think it's going to have to be something that happens after this is rolling and it's determined what is a crisis or what are the services. Everyone's already stretched so thin. You talk about crisis intervention training for officers. You talk about trying to keep. Uh, mentally ill or addicted people out of the criminal justice system and or j- local county jails. Um, it, it's unfortunate and it's part of our reality, but it's also a far-reaching thing besides just local law enforcement. What are the other organizations? As you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, sounds like great work to be done and job counseling and housing counseling, but um, it, it's a resource issue.
2: Indeed. Um, and one other thing, whenever we've talked to uh... At least in Cook County, the chief judge's office, I always get the statistics that show somewhere between one and 3% of people released pre trial, uh, accused of violent crimes, commit more violent crimes. I will be the first to acknowledge 3% is still a lot. Uh, you know, if it's 100 people are released, three of them are going to commit violent crimes. That's still violence in the community. But is the solution to hold many more of them is is the question that I am always asked. Uh, Tom Weitzel?
1: You know, you bring up a really good point. So I don't know if you saw that last week the mayor's office in uh, New York hired an independent company to evaluate the statements made by proponents of no cash bail in New York City. They had put out a press release that said 2% over the period since the bail reform in New York had done repetitive crimes. Uh, the mayor's office did a big press release. If you saw it, 20% is the actual number. And of that 20%, they committed 32% of the repetitive crimes. And then the proponents came out and said, yes, they're correct. It wasn't 2%. It was 20%. So that, that number being thrown out by chief judge office, I think is completely misleading. Uh, it's not factual. Um, so if, if we were to look at New York City, I mean, look at what happened there. They, I think they wanted to repeal the no cash bail within days of it going into effect in New York City. So, you know, repetitive crimes being committed by individuals released on violent, uh, either no cash bond or low cash bond. And we're talking no cash bond here is something that I think you'll probably be doing a program on in the future when this goes things, because Somebody needs to track it, and I don't. I do not believe for a minute that what the proponents claim is going to happen with no cash bail will happen.
2: You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. We're talking about what some call criminal justice reform. My guests are Tom Weitzel, retired police chief of Suburban Riverside, James Kruger, police chief of East Dundee, and Steve Husack, the police chief in Lake Zurich, and we are talking via Zoom. Uh, Let's talk about some of the other provisions uh, in this. And one of them uh, is the the detainee rights. Uh, I've heard some complain this would more affect local police than, than at the county level. When people are moved from one facility to another, or uh, uh, tr- transferred in some way. They have the right to three phone calls within three hours after the move. Obviously, this is a bigger deal in Chicago where there was, in fact, a, uh, a tradition of moving people around so that their lawyers couldn't find them. And hopefully those days are over. Uh, but still, it's got to, those kinds of things have to affect the, uh, the local chiefs. Uh, uh, Chief Kruger, is, is that a concern for you?
3: So this is one provision in the law that's been, uh, that was, we have been uh, trying to fight for, I would say, at least five years that was really brought upon by the, by the previous Cook County Public Defender's Office. And some of the issues or concerns they may have had in the city, but now affects every single community in the state of Illinois, and it's just become tremendously onerous Uh, to be concerned about. Now, no one that I'm aware of has ever stopped anybody from communicating with who they had to communicate with, and especially in order to get bond brought or so they can contact family members or or an attorney. There are some times where that time frame may have uh, been uh, elongated just a little bit while somebody was under investigation because we're concerned if there were co-defendants out there, a victim's uh, safety if there was somebody else out there, uh, the preservation of evidence, and so forth on on whether or not it could be done immediately or just an hour or two later. Uh, But no one was going to be held, uh, you know, for a significant amount of time uh, without them being able to communicate. And just some of these stories that you hear you know whether or not I'm sure some may be factual and I'm sure some of it's a little bit of urban legend uh that occur in the city of Chicago then the entire state is then painted with that brush and it's just uh very unfortunate where uh we've worked to really try to uh do as much as we could with the law and we still think that there are some provisions that we need to fix in in, in suing trailer bills to try to uh try to smooth that out but just to show you that Bill originally said at time of arrest, well, somebody could be in the back of a squad car for for 20 minutes, or especially these small communities, there may only be two or three officers working. And if there's a big incident that occurred, they wouldn't even be able to be transported for a while. Or, uh, you know, because of officer safety issues, they don't have enough in order to have somebody come out and start booking somebody or giving them the opportunity for a phone call. So it's it's great when you're talking about a big city and lots of personnel and booking people and and everything else. But then when you look at the smaller communities across the state, uh, it's not always that simple.
2: Let me move to another issue, use of force. Uh, that is a, another major part of this uh, legislation. And the standard in the bill, as I understand it, is deadly force. Police can use deadly force to protect themselves or if a suspect is likely to harm others and can't be caught later, uh, is how I w- was reading it. Uh, is, that, is that okay, uh, Chief Husak?
0: Well, I, th- I think as Chief Kruger had mentioned, um, some of the things that have been worked on with trailer bills to uh, smooth out this language, I think is very, very admirable, both legislation and by driven directly by the Illinois Chiefs. Um, So certainly the use of force, uh, some of the things were a little extreme in the first version and now with trailer bills have come back around. So certainly use of force, objectively reasonable and following uh, case law is always the way we want to go. Some of the terminology in this statute did not comply with uh, federal standards and with case law. So those things have to make sure we have consistent language. But certainly um, use of force uh, follows all that, follows uh, the case law that's out there
2: uh there's a flat ban on chokeholds, uh is 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 that okay um, Choke, chokeholds have been uh prohibited
0: for a number of years it's already um policy so to address it here is is kind of redundant um I certainly understand uh why based on national events um but at the same time that's that's already in place our policies already reflect that so really it's one of those things that's that's a, kind of a mood issue for us. Hmm. Uh,
2: another issue in the uh, in the law body cameras. Uh, I I would imagine that depending upon your department and how much money it has, uh, this can be either you know you some of you are probably already doing it and some of you it would be difficult. Um, what's the uh, what's the overall feeling, uh, Tom Weitzel?
1: Well, when I left Riverside about a year ago, we were going to body cameras, and yeah, it was financially difficult. But you know, our our elected officials knew it was something that was important, and we had budgeted for it, and you know, we had already started the implementation. In fact, small communities for sure are going to have a difficult time, but there are grants out there, and I do believe that most municipalities, uh, city, and village managers, and elected officials know. That it's something that's important so you're going to see all the agencies comply with that and to be honest i didn't see any pushback from my officers when i was still employed the squad car cameras that we've had for 15 years never the officers never had a problem with those i think that in most cases they backed up the actions that the officers took so i i i saw that it's not a really big issue myself um the only problem i had with it was sometimes they wanted to expand it to Special operations, such as uh, you know, cameras being used in certain situations for hostage barricade or SWAT operations. I think we needed to refine that. But overall, I think that body cameras to me wasn't was a, was a, not, not a non-issue.
2: Hmm. Chief Chief Krueger, uh, what what uh, is your feeling about the body cameras and the expense?
3: Well, I've been a big promote proponent of them. We, uh, in my previous position, we put them in place uh, a year ago and I can tell you just in the first few months of their deployment, uh, we were able to, to justify officers actions or, uh, be able to refruit any kind of complaint or anything like that, that, uh, was extremely helpful. And, and of course, uh, very helpful in investigations as well. in our, uh, our well-known uh, shooting incident at the mall during Christmas. We had some uh, uh, tremendous body cam footage of some of the heroic work that our people did uh, in the, in the first few moments of that incident. Uh, in my current assignment, uh, we hope to, to get them deployed uh, next fiscal year. But again, it, it uh, for smaller agencies, it is a financial burden, but one that we know is, is very important. And I, I think the Tom's point is uh, our rank and file folks uh, compared to uh, uh, those of us with gray hair that have been doing this when when the car cameras first came in, into being 25 years ago, there was a lot of uh, consternation. But uh, nowadays, uh, I mean, it's just a, it, it's an expectation since everybody carries a camera with them now anyway uh, on their telephone. So so I think people see it as a a great benefit, and I think both from a, a criminal investigation aspect when you're interviewing people and. And talking to people and being able to record all that as well as the actions of our officers and keeping them safe. I do know that the chiefs are working on a bill to try to smooth some things out with it because there were some things that were in the original safety act that we were concerned about with reviewing by officers prior to writing police reports and so forth uh, and just uh, doing things when you're working administratively and you know because the way the law is written now of course is that once you implement them everyone has to wear one so even so even we have to wear one if, if we're out of the building so uh, so there is a cost to that and especially the storage cost that uh, that everybody has to just consider it the cost of doing business now
2: Chief Uzak, do you can concur with uh, with those feelings about the uh, cameras I do um,
0: we, we will implement them uh, before the deadline as mentioned in car video. Uh, is very good for us. Um, we don't have a lot of complaints. We have very professional mm-hmm. officers. We're an accredited agency. Um, I think the biggest thing is going to be the cost and the cost of redaction and storage of all the data uh, with freedom of information requests and court cases that that back end, um, even though there may be grants available, is just going to be a long-term cost that we all have to uh, take care of, which is, is uh, it's going to be a burden on, on all of us. It's a we may say an unfunded mandate or a lightly funded mandate, but um, certainly uh, for professional officers that are out there doing the job every day, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's actually going to document in a nice way um, the the completeness and the professionalism that our staff have.
2: Indeed. Um, And before we finish up, I've raised some of the issues that I saw, but are there issues that we haven't talked about that are concerned to you within that law or, or the surrounding laws? Cause let's face it, there are still some other bills floating around.
3: So there is one section that we're working on and trying to uh, fix before the first of the year. And that's uh, as part of that, uh, kind of uh, that judicial reform part of it was uh, the ability for us to make a custodial arrest. If somebody was arrested for a class B or class C misdemeanor and uh the way the law was originally written was is that officers would only be able to issue a citation and, and give somebody a court date, uh, but that wouldn't necessarily provide for the individual to cease doing whatever the action was they were doing, such as uh, trespassing. You know, if somebody was trespassing in your, in your front yard uh, and the police were called, and we if we could only give them a citation for it and then, then drove away, uh, well, that person is still in your front yard. And so there were some practical pieces to that that we were concerned with with public safety and having the ability to at least make a custodial arrest to be able to remove the person from, uh, from your property. And then more likely than not, they'd be given an, a recognizance bond or they wouldn't be held.
2: Well, and we will keep an eye on that as well. And uh, I hope uh, we will again, be able to talk. As, as, as Tom said, we may be talking about this for a while. Maybe we can uh, get back together in a year after all of this is in effect and uh, talk about how it's going. So thank you very much to... Uh, to uh, James Kruger, the police chief of East Dundee, Steve Husack, the police chief in Lake Zurich, and Tom Weitzel, the retired police chief of suburban Riverside. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM.